My guest today is known on Instagram as GeekyJP. Not only is he an incredible cosplayer, but from the second I slid into his DMs, I felt I found a kindred spirit in our mutual love for Wanda and deciphering symbolism. He is so thorough and thoughtful with his analysis of comic book plots and characters, and each time I hear him speak, my knee-jerk reaction is to say, Yas, King, exactly what I was thinking. You might remember him from a previous episode of our WandaVision coverage in which he got into the historical context of Wanda's crown. I got so many DMs about that episode, and it was all thanks to his hard work and analysis. In today's episode, we dive into the recent issues of Way of X and Sword and get into detail about our feels about a certain death in X-Factor. Much like me, you'll be blown away by Geeky JP's words, so pour yourself a drink or mocktail and let's get to the episode. Here we go. During the whole making of X-Men and the casting of X-Men, I was there in the production office. Remember, you don't need to scream for help when Banshees are around. Was it supposed to be Jean or was it supposed to be Madeline? I drew that image and a deliberate hint at things to come. What makes Marvel Legends so special? Just the partnership with Marvel, you know, continuing to work with Jesse Falcon. This is your special guest host, Mr. Sinister. <laughs> you, know, you would never put Storm in a ponytail. That would be well, weird. You could, but it that would be weird. <laughs> but giving it to Jean kind of made her the girl next door that everybody could talk to. When I met Stan, he was very gracious and, and, and very kind. This is the Power of X Men podcast. I am your host, Dayspring. Hope you survived the experience. So we are here today to discuss Sword and mm-hmm. Way of X. And I think both of us have some pretty big feels on it. But let me gauge your temperature because last time you were on the show, we just talked about WandaVision. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about the Hickman reboot? Specifically, these books take place during Reign of X. And I believe the theme for Reign of X was all about expansion. And I think these two books are emblematic of that. So what are your general thoughts on, on Hickman's reboot and, and this chapter we find ourselves in? Um, I mean, I think it's inarguably very ambitious, um, very articulate, like, in terms of he has meticulously plotted pieces that are working in these vast frameworks and it parcels out the story very slowly, which I personally find in some ways a little excruciating would be my major critique there. I just, I wish more, like, can you wrap up one thing at least rather than this protracted, like, done, done, done. It's always, I'm always on Ted Trucks. I want some resolutions on something, please. So, but I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt you because I was once like you. I literally was just like, I can't stand it. Like, there are so many plot points being thrown here and there. And I was speaking with Zeb Wells. It may have been Cy Spurrier. I'm forgetting specifically who it was, but they said, no, that's called Claremontine now. And so the (laughs) idea is they are planting all of these seeds in the books. So another writer 
be it a month from now or 10 years from now, can come back and source that, that story from an earlier seed. And you know what? Okay, fair. That, that, made me, that made me more forgiving of everything we've been seeing thrown at the wall and, and this excruciatingly long narrative that seems to be playing out when I'm like, I want answers. I mean, I think we're in agreement. Like there, there will be payoffs and that's part of like the angst of the buildup is part of what rewards it in the end. And that's why some people really hate spoilers. Um, so no, I'm enjoying it overall, the way it sort of has revived and reinvigorated things and given this new playing field to the X-Men and um, new relationships, like the interactions between Krakoa and Wakanda that we see at play within S.W.O.R.D., for example, um, were a totally new dynamic born out of Ten of Swords. Um, it's great. Which, which are your top two favorite books? Um, I would probably say Way of X and I've really been enjoying Marauders, but, um, the end of Sword 6 certainly, uh, gives me some bias as well. I don't know. It caused me to revisit Sword in a new light. Oh, I wonder what happened at the end of issue six that could have made you revisit the series. I have spoilers. spoilers. Um, I love Sword. I, I think, and I have some grievances with it, and, and we'll we'll talk about it. But I remember I was down in Florida when I first read Sword number one, and I was at my deals condo on the beach. And I was just like, the ocean was in the background and I opened up that first issue and characters I never expected to see in the Hickman era um, were there. And I was just like, holy shit. You know what I mean? And the big one, and if you listen to the podcast regularly, I love Fabian Cortez. I love him with... (laughs) fucking man bun his delusions of grandeur and his fucking cape i was just like yes his little suit is extremely stylish i will will grant him that like all the sword outfits have great design to them i guess that's credit to valerio shiti right shiti um but yeah his is especially cute and i am a sucker for a man bun um, I do have this theory that the man bun only works if you're already especially attractive to begin with. Like you can only pull it off, you know. As someone who it's had a, a man bun during the pandemic, I can assure you, you do need to be attractive because I certainly could not pull that off. <laughs> um, so why don't we dive into sword sure. first, which is um, what we were just talking about. Uh, Reign of X title that deals with the mutant space program and the mutants um, expanding to the solar system and having a position within the Galactic Council. Al Hewing is writing it with Valerio Shiti as the artist. And issue number one was sort of explosive. And so what were you thinking when you read issue one, what were your feels on it? 
what delicious things did you notice that some of us may have missed? Um, I mean, I may not have the best references on sword overall. I feel like it has a particularly sort of Babylon 5 vibe in that um, their main focus is diplomacy, allegedly. Um, I don't know that we've necessarily gotten to see a ton of that yet. Um, But here's the thing about the diplomacy, and and I agree with you about that. I feel the reason why issue six is so great is because it's finally picked up a story that um, they've wanted to tell. Mm. And I think they suffered from crossover fatigue, you know, like, or not crossover fatigue. They, they've been victims of crossovers. Yes, they get me. sideswiped by the crossovers, like King of Black kind of tramples the story. In a way. I was just like, where did that come <laughs> from? It's like, it, you just have this open, this first issue where they, you know, they go off into like the the burning white hot, you know, fires. And, you know, I, I see white hot. I think of Gene, the white hot. Room exactly. Everything. Phoenix, right? It has to reference that. In a way. Phoenix. And they come back with this black diamond. Forget what the black diamond is called. And Mysterium. it's and, and, and literally uh, what? Uh, Mysterium. Oh, Mysterium. You're right. Wonder yeah. Flebotomium product. And you're like, oh, right there. That, that's everything I want to hear. It ends on such like a high note. Mm-hmm. And then we go into a crossover issue. And then we have a standalone issue. And then, you know, we have the issues with Fabian Cortez, where then he gets kicked off. Don't even get me started with that. And then finally, we get to the Hellfire Gala. And, of course, that last issue. We know exactly <laughs> what happened. Yeah. So I, I feel sword in general, I think is one of the store, stores, one of those stories you just have to see in the end how it played out. And like, I wouldn't hold it against the writer because he had to tie it into some sure. other stuff, you know? Yeah. I think Al Ewing is a master of reference. I feel that especially shown when I was rereading Agent of Asgard and the way he referenced storytelling in general in that. Um, And I think that S.W.O.R.D. in turn references the idea of a lot of spacefaring and sci-fi media as well. Um, And they even say in the first issue, I think that this is the future of mutant dumb. And so it very much reflects that outlook. This is sort of the next step. It's very cool. Well, and it's also, you know, they talk about mutant technology and mutant science. Yes. And I thought this was really interesting. And I think it's something, in fairness, though, I think it's something Sinister has already kind of accomplished. But, <laughs> but for lack of a better, you know, you know. Or Excalibur. Or Excalibur, you're absolutely right. Covens are mutant technology, but referenced within the framework idea of magic. So there's a resonance there that I hope gets further explored in some ways, maybe. Um, but I love your crown. I'm sorry. I'm just looking at your crown. You're talking and then you're talking about magic and then you were so eloquently moving your fingers. I'm like, I want this guy's crown so badly. Um, it's so pretty. It's so pretty. I'm it. so jealous right now. I never get jealous. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, so the idea is that you as a mutant scientist can start your project and you can see it through to the end of 
of time. And great. That, that's wonderful. I think that redefines what the idea of what it means to be a mutant, a mutant science scientist, and, and where that technology eventually lands. I thought it was great. I had no quarrels with that. I also like seeing how all of them come together and they fuse their powers in mm-hmm. the same way that the five do. But now they're, you know, the ones from above. Hang on, I'm just pulling up the V the the list of how their powers work and everything sure I, yeah I, I took a photo of that myself and yeah i have there's a brilliant um hard world building is i believe the term to the way mm-hmm. everything sort of interacts there and all credit to valerio shiti but it's a very beautiful comic um it's slick and it's stylish and the way powers and things work and glow on the page is just great to experience. Now, I, I do have to say that I still, it doesn't feel like it's been answered for me about what the six do and how they do what they do to transport across the galaxy. I get it. Their powers <laughs> are supposed to work in tandem because I agree with you. It's beautiful. I mean, those pages in issue one, which is where I think the only hardcore scene we see them teleporting like that. I love it. But um, so they have a stage one circuit and then they have a stage two circuit. Manifestation versus translocation. Okay. Okay. So creation, that's the making of the Mysterium when they're at the white hot fire of creation and he creates that black diamond. That's the super material. That's the second level circuit. Oh, where they create something from nothing via mutant technology. I love that. Slash magic, depending on your point of view. Is it magic? Is that your point of view? Um, It's uh, Margaret Greenwood has a book called The Anthropology of Magic, where she contrasts the idea of scientific thinking and magical thinking. And her thesis is, not only, but also the idea that they aren't antithetical, they can uh, interrelate and inform each other, their two perspectives. So who do you think is a breakout star in in S.W.O.R.D.? Um, Definitely uh, Manyfold. Is that the correct pronunciation, right? Yeah. He's so hot (laughs) but um he's just cool he has that sort of secret agent role going but secret agent in space so it's (laughs) on another level um his powers are amazing um i think to your question again of what's the difference between the first level and second level uh circuit of the six um i forget the particular issue um Number three, in sword number three, Brand has a data page where she's sort of talking about Eden's abilities. And she says specifically, he is not a teleporter. Um, And she goes on to explain that his ability is not teleporting. It's that he speaks to the universe and it listens. And so he folds space by asking the universe to do so. Um, And so that's where that sort of creation Aboriginal dream time, the idea that all things are in this sort of amorphous state that can birth new things. Um, you love Outback Claremont, right? Um, Gateway touched on this. I think Eden's an heir of Gateway in a lot of ways, and that's touched on in Sword a bit as well. 
and those throwbacks because I can find a lot of parallels and I, I post them on the Instagram mm-hmm. quite a bit. It's there. They really are digging into that. Yeah, it's beautiful to see. I love that you have that eye for it and um, it makes it an extra detail, I think, for fans who have the reference materials to compare that encyclopedic knowledge of what the X office is doing versus what they can see. Put the pieces together, there's an almost, I hate to say Da Vinci Code, but that sort of art historian, you know, find the pieces of the puzzle aspect. It's a lot of fun. It's very rewarding. But I think that's also why the X-Books and the Hickman era right now are doing so well, because you do feel there is a larger piece of the puzzle. And it's been so much fun talking about it because there's so many people coming in, reading the books. They want to engage. They want to talk about it. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's the best feeling ever. I love yeah. when people ask me for recommendations or sum ups. It's such a happy glow feeling. What do you recommend? I want to know. What does <laughs> JP himself recommend? Um, I mean, I personally recommend Excalibur. I know that can be highly contentious, but I feel like a lot like Sword, it suffered a bit from being sideswiped by other events, even though Ten of Swords kind of was an Excalibur event. I, I agree. Like, I would call it an Excalibur event. Like, I don't feel like Excalibur got a chance to sing until Ten of Swords happened is part of the problem that it experienced. I agree wholeheartedly with you. I just said this the other day. I feel that Excalibur... It, it was interesting. I love Teeny Howard's writing. I think mm-hmm. she is a wonderful writer who can do some tremendous world building. And she focuses in on those character interactions, the dialogue, everything happening around you versus someone like Hickman, who's larger picture. And so if my, I had a criticism of Hickman before Ten of Swords was that he was a little too stiff. And then I would argue with teeny howard she was a little too wiggly there was so much in there when they come together like when they wrote empire issue one mm-hmm. and you know various issues in ten of swords i thought they were perfect they were a perfect match now post ten of swords i think excalibur is great and i think hickman has loosened up a lot with his writing and i i always say like ten of swords was a turning point for Excalibur for me. And I feel for like the series in general, they also had that break because of the pandemic, the scheduling, they had, they had a lot of time to sit down and like really have the benefit of time and, and sort of catch up with what they were doing. Not that they were behind, but at least emotionally and from an artistic level catch up. But I really, I think, I think sword did a great job of introducing you to this world. I cared a lot about Fabian he was kicked out by the council. I was heartbroken. Of course, he's in Way of X, which we will uh, discuss. They went out of their way to make that painful. They, he's butt naked in front of the council. And our fucking god queen, Jean, who <laughs> I cannot was, believe. Go, go. She was channeling Team Jean in that. I oh, I know. The, there was some shrug implied. At She's here like, I, 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 I pulled the short straw, so I guess I have to put you. It didn't take that long. I was like, Jean would never 
She would never say that. Well, would she? I don't. I don't. I. If you listen to the Cerebro Jean Grey podcast episode, they have a point. I think of calling Jean a bitch. <gasps> um, I haven't heard. I haven't heard their that episode. I think. It's one of the reasons I identify with Jean on a very personal level, but it's the idea, I don't remember my citation for who pioneered the term, but an allowed target. And it's the idea of, we have to be good, we have to be good, we have to be good, but oh wait, this person is bad. So it's okay to be as harsh as you want to be there. <laughs> They're an allowed target. And we see that, especially, I think, with Claremont in the early Dark Phoenix, like when she confronts those Hellfire dudes who are going to run down Kitty Pride in the car and she's like, I was going to kill them. And Scott's like, you monster, why, how? And she's like, they were going to kill a child. So I don't see the problem. And that's but that not makes her righteous. Perfect, but... That makes her righteous, not a bitch, though. Uh, well, it's... It's very absolutist. It's very, it's not necessarily all hugs and kisses, which is what you supposedly get with Jean, but that's a dichotomy to her that I love. It's one of the reasons I think I love Wanda the most, quote, because she has that temperament. <laughs> well, Jean does <laughs> say, volatility. yeah, no, Jean does say in New X Men, uh, right before or right after. Emma dies. She goes, it's true. You think I killed her. It's true. I run around the globe preaching, you know, brotherhood and acceptance. And when I come home, the first thing I do is fight. So yeah, I think I like that, that aspect of Jean, but still like Fabian Cortez for her would be like fish in a barrel. But I know what you're saying because everyone he is... hates Cortez. He's kind of a Nazi. And so Gene is like, okay, this is someone <laughs> I can hate, like full throttle. I can go a little dark Phoenix on you, just a little. Just a little. Just... <laughs> well, she's still wearing that 90s outfit, and the Shiti art for that was beautiful. Yes, she's gorgeous. That's one of the reasons we love Gene, is that she embodies beauty and femininity it's it's part of her shtick that's that's gene but geeky jp we all know who the real star of these last last six issues of sword were and when she came walking down the staircase was she at the hellfire gala no the hellfire gala was um, over it was technically over okay um, okay but anyway, and yeah, we there's another character who rises in this that we're going to talk about, but Wanda. I mean... There are two beautiful moments and three strong points is, okay. I think, how I'd sum up six. All but, right, go. Let lay it all out. I mean, it's maybe because I've already finished my cognac, but I'm tearing up a little even thinking about it. I mean, it's what I've been waiting and verbally posting about on Instagram and Twitter for the run of Hickman. Um, I love Wanda. Uh, I feel like there's a very large inconsistency from writer to writer that agreed. you kind of can sort of wave off in terms of her volatility, but um, 
the one that sticks in my craw is Rosenberg um, in the Teen Gene series. I think I have the writer correct, but I, I don't think it's Rosenberg. I think no. it was Hopeless. 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 Okay. Um, Hang on, adult Gene it. says to Teen Gene that Wanda is a narcissist with an addiction to chaos. <laughs> And I feel like that's very off and very not appropriate for Gene, even in terms of the allowed target thing I previously described. Um, I feel like there's... Dennis Hopeless. Dennis Hopeless. I said Dennis Dennis. Hopeless. Okay. I feel like that writing was a little weird and off. I feel like there should be more That issue was weird in general. It was the first time we presumably had seen adult Gene since and song, you know, not counting in any manifestations. And she was kind of like this angry, playful, like ghost <laughs> when like Wanda and teen Jean were hugging, like adult Jean's like gross, but maybe, you know, maybe to what you were saying, but I know you, you, you felt like the writing was just off in there. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with you, but anyways, I cut you off. Please continue. Um, no, I ramble, especially on this topic, because there's just so many little points and things. Um, but um, Wanda has vacillated from writer to writer, especially in terms of her degree of penitence for M-Day versus her unrepentance, her frustration or her lack of patience with people's emptiness of forgiveness and brittle spiritedness. Um, I think we see that a lot in Avengers versus X-Men with the rogue versus Wanda dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, Rogue is very, how dare you exist? (laughs) Um, In a way she hates Wanda. She stabs and kills Wanda. Um, It's a very fraught relationship. And there are points where Wanda in that series is just like, you know what, Rogue, fuck you. I've paid my dues, which she sort of has because there have been at least three attempts for Wanda to redeem herself since the decimation, uh, the Wandageddon, as Stacey X refers to it in Way of X3. Um, But what I thought was beautiful and healing, and I'm sorry, I'm coming to a point now. And no, I'm looking at you. Please, I, you know I can listen to you all day. What was so wonderful about this scene was that we got the penitent Wanda. She yeah. has almost Shakespearean dialogue. I didn't count the IMs, but she um, says the pretender can't sit at the feast after what she's done and what she said. She didn't feel like she belonged at the gala. She doesn't have a super, she's not in a gala outfit. She's in a quote, original um, debatable versus, you know, 60s fashion, whatever. But her quote, original Scarlet Witch outfit of the red and pink and the Shiti art is so beautiful. She's hanging her head in shame. You've, in my opinion, feel the immediate pathos of Wanda that's implicit to her at all times. Wanda is a penitent. She has sinned in all contexts of her character. She's suffering so, so much as the pretender. And this was a beautiful, beautiful scene that now that you say there are spoilers out there for a trial of Magneto, I'm worried, but um, 
in the post Game of Thrones era, it would make a lot of sense for Magneto to be on trial for murdering Wanda, right? <laughs> to, have, to take this beautiful moment and be like, I worry the same um, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. The other big reveal, if I may, is that our glorious Hadari Yao is the regent of soul, um, which is amazing for Storm. I'm so glad for Storm to have development and agency in theory, but my immediate worry when I read Planet Size X-Men was I was like, oh, so this is a really convenient way for Orcus to be like, we got a nuke Mars and they can write off all of Araco and be like, we don't need to deal with that. They were nuked by Orcus, oops. So I'm worried for Storm. I'm worried about being- think that oh, you're right though and is is mars within the orbit uh or within the range of cerebro i guess there would be a cerebro station there that transmits like do the araco mutants get backed up i was very confused by some recent thing i don't i don't know it's all i'm about to break down and collect every single x book because <laughs> to confess i have not I have not collected every single one of them heretofore, but they really do all connect. There are little details I've missed and been... I don't think the Araco mutants download or they've been backed up. I'm not saying that they don't. You know, I've been, I've been reading everything. I don't think I've been... Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There are so many X-books out there. You can't <laughs> sit down and... And I read all of them. I try to read all of them you can't sit down and absorb everything. Some of these data pages are long. I'm not trying to say that the, 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 the stuff isn't there and that's not well-crafted. It's just when you're reading and, and you're, you're commenting, you're looking at everything, you're trying to absorb it all. And then it just goes out the window afterwards because here are like 12 other books that you need to read next week. But I don't think they've tackled... The Iraqo mutants were, were placed, you know, obviously on earth and then they were just moved and all of a sudden in plant size x-men people were worried about them <clears throat> steve rogers like all of a sudden he cares and <laughs> it felt very easy but, no i loved this i i'm such a sympathizer people are gonna be and it parallels real life in that I was raised to be a good little liberal but i just want everyone to get along and so they sad steve really spoke to me i thought that was the true oh that was a beautiful the true scene. steve rogers oh my god that 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 scene with him and doom that was beautiful that was so beautiful mm-hmm. when he's looking is an amazing writer i sword is a gem i was a fool to overlook it that's why i say i feel like i have to collect all the x titles as well because there's i don't know that there's a bad one among them Although I do, if I can go on another little tangent to raid. Of course. There's... The people know who's on the show, okay? That's all I'm saying. Like, Demanda Martini was like, oh, wait, I have another tangent. I'm like, Demanda, no, 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 no. I didn't book you to edit yourself. And Gigi JP, I'm going to tell you the same thing. I did not book you so you can edit yourself. Let the people know what you have to say. They, everyone loves hearing you. There's an old school namby-pambiness to my tastes in that I want, I want the heroes to be good. 
And there's a darkness underlying the Hickman era that I'm not sure everyone necessarily addresses. I think Way of X is bringing it to a head. Yeah. Um, but it caused me to cancel my subscription to a number of the titles and little fits of rage just because they aren't doing things right, but they're doing things intentionally. Like I feel that sword has an undercurrent of colonialism to it. For example, I feel that children of the atom has an inherent critique of cultural appropriation I feel that X-Force is very much critiquing the security state and the idea of um, meddling in other governments and secret ops and the ramifications of that. And I don't think they're doing poorly. I don't think they're necessarily insensitive. I just personally, emotionally, I don't like to see the good guys do wrong. Like you hate Beast, right? Because Beast is a dick, but I don't want to see Beast be a dick. I want a happy himbo, burly, grr scientist. Like, why is he evil? No. Uh, <laughs> I, I see where it's interesting. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think one of the hardest things for me to digest as a long-term X fan is how gray you know, morality is right now in the X books. And we're talking about, they have a council that's supposed to speak for their society. That's supposed to be the moral foundation for their society. And you have sinister, exactly. You have sinister who's murdering his own, you know, his own team, right? Mm -hmm. You have mystique who's, I think mystique is shining so much in, in these books. And I think mystique has become a very sympathetic character. Not that always has been amazing, but more sympathetic, more sympathetic. I think now you really are rooting for mystique before I would be like in another mystique story, it would be like, okay, she's doing her like, let's say Messiah complex. She had an ulterior motive. Okay. She, we knew she was going to betray the X-Men. Yeah, she did it for Rogue, but, you know, she still had something. You know, she was still a little nefarious there. Here, you're like, no, she just wants her fucking wife back. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that is a beautiful story. I mean, it. I was thinking about it the other day, and it makes Xavier and Magneto the denial of a queer love story, if nothing else. Like, that's not a good position for them to be in, in terms but, of... But, yo, here, like, answer me this question. Why does it even matter if you have precogs on Krakoa? Because they're going to say, oh, we always lose. Regardless of what happens, Moira has all these slides, we always lose. But that is the premise of every X story. They always lose. There's always always a dystopian future. You're going to tell that to these people. They'll be like, okay, how do we avert it? But wait, I want to hear your feels on it. Well, in your opinion, Claremonting is the story, right? Like it's just a seed. But the way I would spin that seed, my understanding of um, powers of X, I hope I'm getting the series right, was that humanity always ends up defeating mutants. Powers of 10, powers of 10. Okay, powers of 10. In the human-mutant conflict, Humanity always ends up overcoming mutants because they choose to symbolically subsume their humanity to becoming a machine intelligence that achieves a sort of singularity-like level of compounding 
exponential development intelligence and upon intelligence where it's sort of black holes becoming a technarch from the whole Warlock Claremont history there. Um, and so if I were Moira on my last ditch effort, knowing the other various attempts that we do know, um, one option that remains is for mutants to follow a similar path and subsume their inherent, quote, mutantdom vis-a-vis humandom to a machine intelligence and become a mutant phalanx equivalent. I think that might be Moira's direction and the ethical and aesthetic qualms about that or why she can't tolerate precogs because who wants to be goo? (laughs) (laughs) No, and that is a valid, that is a valid point, especially when you put it like that, because I think one of the big things that we got out, out of powers of 10 was that not only do mutants always lose, but yes, humans will eventually evolve past, past mutants and mutants are not necessarily the next step in evolution. They're sort of like this dead end, you know, right turn. Right. Biology can't necessarily surpass technology in terms yeah. of the parabola. You just took the words technology. right out of my mouth. Exactly. It was the technology that is going to propel mutants forward. And that is why we have the emphasis in somewhere like SWORD with technology, technology. and science. So, and, and even mm-hmm. that Krakoa is a mutant science-driven society. I mean, right yes. there, the foundation is bringing back mutants in resurrection it's not magic quote unquote you know we can debate about that but for all intents and purposes it, they're using their mutant powers mm-hmm. which is something a little bit more tangible that like a fucking idiot like beast could like decipher because yeah. he's a scientist and but- i think what sword does that's very cool in terms of perspective is brand says i think in issue one like you're all earthers i'm a spacer um yeah. i look at things on this galactic perspective galactic perspective um and so you need to think of things in terms of soul and i think that's been a running theme from one through six of sword despite um crossover segues is this idea of uniting soul and mutants being that next step forward of the fighting factions of earth versus mutants being a united force in the galaxy and that's really what storm will be region of going forward can we just talk about how amazing storm looks it's so beautiful that costume oh my god like i love that she debuted her queen costume as her hellfire gala look like of course she would she's so she looks gorgeous i the symbolism in terms of how in Planet Size X-Men she breathes life into Planet Araco is, I guess, what we're supposed to call it versus Mars, right? Yeah. Um, and the way in terms of divine right of kings, the king is the land. She's the life, the breath of spirit of that planet that she's region of. I think that's so awesome and beautiful. And of course, the way her power is really relating to the electromagnetosphere of the planet. So she's sort of a Captain Planet avatar. You especially see that in the Storm Phoenix. What if, like, when she yeah. goes dark? Um, but I love I, that for by Storm. The way, I have, she's I've so only glorious. Seen, I've only seen screenshots of the what if uh, Storm became Phoenix. I've never been able to find that issue A in the wild or B online. Hmm. 
I don't have it myself. No, I've only I've only read the interpretations, but it's such a cool story because I mean, there's that goddess quality, right? We keep yeah. using that word. I think she invokes it, especially when she uses the title Hadari Yao. Um, and it just Storm is such an awesome character. I felt like she's been neglected in this Hickman era so far. Um, so that's a seed that is in theory being paid off. I'm ready for Regent Storm. Is Storm going to be a main character of Sword going forward, I guess? Because the Regent of Soul seems important to me. I thought she would be. We've been calling that for a while, ever since the Reign of X promo came out and she was holding but, the Black Diamond, the Mysterio. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. My only thing is I don't want her so divorced from the everyday doings of, you know, what's going on with the X-Men on earth. That being said though, all she has to do is take a green gate, you know, plant gate to back to earth and she can be, it's, it's seconds. <laughs> so we don't have to worry about that, but you know what I mean? Like, I hope they're not trying to do something like they're, we've seen this in the past where they give a character this elevated plot, but then they don't really know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case with Hickman and the way the X office is operating now, they are all on the fucking X-Men slack Everyone, you know, Leah, Tini, Vita, Hickman, uh, Zeb, Cy, they're all on a Slack. They're all talking. And I'm, I'm looking forward to what happens with, with Sword next. Mm-hmm. And I think, def, def, I think it's finally hit. It's current. This is where we're going to see everything that Al has uh, planted you know, in those first issues. And now I think he can tell his own story. Hopefully he won't have too much, too many crossovers to have to deal with. That's my only, that's my only qualm with the, with the series. What about, all right. So the next title we have you here for is way of X. Uh, And that is by Cy Spurrier and Bob Quinn is doing the art. mm -hmm. So what are your first impressions of the series? I mean, when I was trying to take notes, I have so many bullets because um, I think you saw one of my early criticisms was I wish each issue were three times as long, but at the same time, they're each so dense. It's so important. I'm so impressed by what Cy Spurrier is doing. Um, It's made me... I am conflicted by Nightcrawler heretofore. Um, fair, fair. It, I have very personal issues regarding, I was raised as a devout Catholic, which Nightcrawler is, um, because of experiences I think that are in some ways similar to Nightcrawler's I chose to abandon Catholicism in almost all ways. I mean, I think there are sometimes ideological frameworks that can be useful. And I think Frame of uh, Way of X has that concept going in the way that Nightcrawler started out being like, I'm going to found a mutant religion. But very quickly, he's like, no, it can't be a religion. It needs to be more a philosophy, a social order. Um, yeah. And that is the concept of, I would say, liberal theology, which is that um, scripture is not to be understood literally in liberal theology, it's meant to be a poetic device. It's meant to be an idea from which we define truths that are relevant to our modern world. Um, and so 
Spurrier is really finding that sort of philosophical liberal theology, liberation theology. Um, liberation theology is the extension of liberal theology. Um, it was Roy Cohn who first founded it in the U.S. in terms of Black liberation theology and the idea that the narrative of Christ as a liberator who speaks to oppressed people um, and that God is closeness to the oppressed and so the nature of sin is to oppress people. It's very relevant to X-Men in that narrative of marginalized people. Um, I'm rambling, but... No, no. <laughs> I, I, as you can see, I am looking at you with these lovingly eyes. Because first of all, I agree. Everything you've said, one, I grew up Catholic. And I was always taught up until a certain age, I was told, take the Bible literally. And then once we hit... I want to say like 15, 16, the Bible became less of like a historical book and more of a book we were reading and we were supposed to decipher symbolism and meaning in it. And I always say this. So I'm, my, my, my spirituality has kind of wavered these last few months last year with, with everything that's gone on in the pandemic, both personally and globally. But I always said, I identified as an atheist. And people would just assume you're an atheist, you hate religion, you hate God, you, you know, you're, you're intolerant of all that stuff, and you're not. You actually, you see the value in them. I think a really good atheist sees value in religion and that moral hierarchy. And I've always said this, I've always been envious of people who do religion well, because I do think religion, much like an art, like playing an instrument, some people are really good at it, some people are just awful, and some people are just mm -hmm. not, not, not your jam. And I just, I, I've always been jealous of those people who have this beautiful hierarchy and can use that religion for something good and not something to oppress others. I think when I've seen that with Nightcrawler, especially in issue one, first of all, I thought, I thought they were going to do a mutant religion. We spoke with mm -hmm. Cy Spurrier on the podcast. Yes. The first question I had for him was like, Nightcrawler's founding a mutant religion. He's you're like, hold up. <laughs> no, I mean, no, he no. said, he said, in I was upset about that because I was excited. I was like, mutant religion. That sounds awesome. Well, but because like on the reign of X promo, he's holding what appears to be a pamphlet. Yep. And then obviously I was just looking it up as we were talking X-Men number seven, which I always think is number six, but six is where uh, destiny and um, mystique story comes into play. But he has that conversation with Cyclops about religion and what constitutes a soul and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think those are really provocative questions to be asking in an age of resurrection where mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of the act of phenomenology. I think what makes Dayspring and Geeky JP is this interaction right now. And the way we interact forms our soul. If someone killed me right now, but they backed up an earlier version of me from today before I had my coffee, I, I would say that is a very different version of me. Mm -hmm. And this really influenced my soul, this interaction with you. So I was so happy to see that conversation happening in yes, issue six. With Pixie. Yes. Well, no. Well, in issue right. seven, excuse me, with Cyclops, and then here with Pixie, of course, it comes back in ish in one. I did say that to Cy. I don't. I think I may have overread it. I think it was more to elucidate the fact that yeah, she was someone else, but I don't think it was a larger commentary on a soul. I mean, we can decipher from it because it's mm -hmm. source material, but I think it was you know food being yeah, and and yeah, you can never divorce religion 
you know, certain aspects of society from art, especially when you're talking about mutants and religion. Mm-hmm. But anyways, now I'm the one rambling. So please continue. Um, so no, I see it made me see Nightcrawler in a new way because I've been a little intolerant of his faith in the past. Um, so to see him finally, in my opinion, really struggle with it and in my opinion, actually surpass it is what we see happen in Way of X. Um, mm-hmm. There's a spoiler alert moment where he pulls the trigger on Legion um, that's breaking down shout not kill. Kurt's typically portrayed as a technical pacifist and it's really crossing a line, especially in the way Sai has portrayed him as having a discomfort around the cheap death of Krakoa. But there's a line I think we're going to see repeated along with the three laws. There's a sort of fourth law soft that Sai has pulling through, I think, which is, um, I may need to check my notes to get the wording exactly correct, but it's something to the effect of there's nothing as painful as a life of submission. I'm going to go with that versus look at my phone obsessively, <laughs> something like that. Um, and that idea I think is very true. Like they were torturing Legion. He was being used as a quote, slave lab monkey, whatever term you want to use exactly. But Nightcrawler was, quote, setting him free. And his data page immediately after that, which is a florilegium, which is a um, term kind of from the Christian academic tradition, florilegium is a flower of thought. It means writings about writing, about thinking. Um, I think Nightcrawler follows very much the Christian tradition of the contemplative, which is the idea that you need to sit in thought um, and discovery comes from thinking and mulling things over. And that's why we see the sort of poignant dialogue-based comic, like Nightcrawler goes from place to place and talks to people and has these moral quandaries. I love it. Um, I think it's brilliant, but I think that's part of what we see at play. I think Nightcrawler has been obviously the star of this book. I, I'm curious to see where we're going to go with Onslaught, with the Onslaught yes. reveal. And the fact that the book isn't listed in solicitations for September. And, and instead, mm-hmm. we have Bob and Cy working on Onslaught, the Revelations. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm curious um if that's just you know kind of like pausing this book so we can let this story come out or what's gonna what's gonna become of it but i think it's also gonna be about looking at mutant culture and the morality in it because we have xavier and legion at play we have onslaught Mm -hmm. we also have the younger x-men who have adopted this what you haven't died yet mentality (laughs) and they're almost like fearless it was just so it was such a jarring way of looking at that mm-hmm. and we know dazzler is also going to be playing a big role what were your thoughts on dazzler i mean she has very interesting musical tastes according to Sai. um but i mean i'm just happy to see her get page time i think there hasn't been much characterization for her yet i'm excited to see what where this goes. Um, I always, 
getting myself into trouble. Get yourself um, into Dazzler that. is not the most cerebral character oh! in most portrayals. <laughs> like, I, I'm just saying, as first introduced in the Dark Phoenix saga, there's that moment where Cyclops is like, don't you want to see the origin of your powers? And she's like, nope. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's who Allison is, right? So Sorry, Prof. World saving ain't my style. So that's an interesting counterpoint when I'm talking about the contemplative monastic Kurt, then you're going to have Nope Dazzler. It's a good cop, bad cop, odd couple sort of dynamic. I'm, it'll be good to see what comes of that. Well, if he's going to be starting a mutant culture, mutant movement, you know, for lack of a better term here, a pop star. No. Pop, a pop star is someone who unites people. I mean, we're living mm-hmm. in it right now. We're all rallying against, you know, rallying free for Britney. free Britney. You know, you go to concerts, people are dying to get back and to celebrate together. So, you know, I, 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 I think it's really smart to to mm-hmm. to have the mutant diva. My only thing is, like, I wish they would stop showing Dazzler as like an F lister. Who's like singing at like the, at the green bar, and like no one's listening to her. <laughs> Doctor she... Nemesis is heckling her. Yeah, I'm just apparently like... that's negging her, which oof, I mean, he's a villain, but geez, I just don't. She would be on tour. She'd have a publicist when mm-hmm. she's here. Like I'm performing at the Hellfire Gala tonight. I'm like, don't you have rehearsal? Don't you have to start getting ready? Because, you know, I know you're not galactic superstar. Yeah, like, Uh, I'm sorry. And then I I don't even think we've seen her perform at the gala. We only saw her in this last issue of Way of X, grabbing the microphone back from Kurt from his drunk perspective. I'm like, no, like they gave some random mutant the the opening, you know, uh, concert, the opening performance. And I was like, but where's Alison Blair? Give me Alison Blair. Anyways, I'm Harmony? sorry. I can't even remember her name. But... I'm forgetting her name too, but she was there in issue one. But that's fine. I Look, give me a good Dazzler story. Obviously, yes. we'll see where it's going to go. Especially cool. with Dr. Nemesis. But I think there's... I think Cy has proven himself to be a great writer. I think Quinn is a wonderful artist. I like the art mm-hmm. very much. And I'm looking forward to it. I love Onslaught. I'm a yes, I'm a huge it's a fan. very cool choice, I think, and the way they've been playing up the patchwork man and the idea of him being a parasite that's limited only by his sustenance, but Krakoa is a huge source of sustenance, and the portrayal of him being fueled by the negative emotions and that heart-wrenching scene with Loa and Mercury. Yeah. Um it's very deep stuff with Onslaught that's possible. Um, and so he's a very cool choice for WaveX. And I think I can kind of see how it's, you say the Onslaught revelation because, you know, in the Christian tradition, Revelations is the final book and the coming of Satan, which is the Onslaught analog, right? And that also means that supposedly Christ comes to defeat him and there's the rapture, etc. So we'll get a Krakoan rapture. Well, I think the rapture is going to be Inferno. 
Yeah, I mean, I've told you previously how I feel like the Scarlet Witch references the Scarlet Woman, who is the whore of Babylon in the Book of Revelation. So that would theoretically be Wanda's role in this. She would be the whore of Babylon, quote, the pretender is the equivalent there. Maybe. Mm. Mm, let's uh, see. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely, I, you know, with, I have my own theories for Inferno. And I think we'll we'll see where it goes. I don't want to be a clown though, especially since we're focused on Way of Exit and uh, and Sword. But you know, I think Inferno. Let's see where it goes. But yeah, I yes. I think it, I, to your point, I don't think it's a coincidence that we have onslaught revelations, Inferno, and they have all these biblical analogies that are probably going to come to fruition. I mean, Hickman loves a good reference. We know this. And we know Hickman is a cerebral writer and there's a lot of planning going on. Let's see where everything goes. As ex-fans, we, we can get a little burned. Like we're like, oh, this is a really good story. Where is it going to go? And it goes nowhere, <laughs> you know? But I think I have faith in the X office. Like I, I have to tell you, the X office has proven themselves for mm-hmm. me, you know, especially with this relaunch. I'm it may not be the story I'm conceiving, but I, I'm confident that these stories will hit whatever message, whatever theme, whatever conclusion they want, and hopefully keep it open for someone else. I just, I just think of the the long, long years that were between Messiah Complex and like AVX and AVX, and you know the Uncanny reboot and these stories. Yes. that you're like where is this going you know what i mean like what are you trying to say here like just like and then it just and then the good ones just stop like yeah. without any warning they just stopped well i mean i think i talked about it with you in um comments but my personal fanfic hope is that wanda is involved in defeating onslaught i think that um, in terms of Way of X being about philosophy and social order, reparation and redemption is part of that. And I think the pretender is a really important symbol in that story, I would say. Well, I really, so you mentioned that Wanda has already been on a quest for redemption. And I agree. I mean, I, I thought back in the day when Children's Crusade published, Wanda was absolved. Of, mm-hmm. of her I think sense. that was Heinberg's intent, certainly. And then, you know, we picked up with, that's why she was able to join Uncanny Avengers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her and Rogue, obviously, I'll never forget that scene where Wanda was like, I don't have to deal with this. Like, I, because at the time, editorially, she had been absolved. She's here like, you X-Men, always polishing that halo in the name of some just cause. I'm paraphrasing what she said, but I was like, Wanda just took Rogue to the dry cleaners right there. Yes. And and then I think with Hickman, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, we had Teen Jean read Wanda's mind and she was like, oh my God, she decimates us. We were set to inherit the earth and she decimated us. And But the Avengers are firmly on Wanda and even Rogue. And then we Wanda's pretty quiet. Like the mutants don't seem to have any grief with Wanda until Krakoa that's when they start calling her the pretender and everything. And then we see an empire where she attempts to resurrect the mm-hmm. Genosian dead and ends up causing a bigger Poor mess. Poor one. She really, you know, but, um, but you know, my hope for her 
is I, I hope she somehow gets to undo the dead Genosians. I mm-hmm. think that's what she needs to do. It, or I don't want to say repower because like I'm confused about the numbers. Yes. I, I'm still confused. very hazy. You know, all of a sudden, I think now, and I forgot where I was reading somewhere where they're like, oh, a couple thousand here. And then now it's like it was a thousand after M-Day. And, and then there was the 190 and stuff like, or I'm sorry, after Genosha, it was only like a million or a thousand, I'm forgetting. And then, you know, we got the 190. Every, so I don't know. I don't know how many depowered mutants she has depowered, but I think she needs to do something bigger or how many depowered mutants are now repowered through the Crucible. But I think she needs to raise the Genosha mutants because we did find out early on in Hawksbox that it will take them a long time to resurrect those 16 billion mutants who were killed by Cassandra Nova. So that's just- And yeah, with Nightcrawler's discomfort in the Crucible and Dr. Nemesis's notes about how it is a sort of um, planned selection for more warlike and violent mutants. I think the possibility of a more peaceful and redemptive crucible alternative would be an interesting option yeah. to explore as well. Um, that would be theoretically within Wanda's powers and would be a really beautiful healing thing, I think. Just an option that sits there. It's part of what fascinates me about Wanda so much. There's, If you're going to flog her, I mean, there's a long road to redemption story to be told. It's very interesting. The only thing I will say about your theory, and I haven't read the book of Revelation since I was probably like 13, because that's what you did <laughs> on Cayo Ocho. <laughs> you're a Catholic school on Cayo Ocho. Like, you're fucking Maestra just brought in the book of Revelations. And like, oh, I'll never forget like the imagery of me thinking of a lamb hatching from an egg. Oh my God, I can just still see it. But I, I think the horror of Babylon, and again, I don't know her, her context within the story, so you can just shut me down right now. But I think it's going to be Madeline Pryor. I think yeah. they're going to bring Maddie back. And I think she is going to lay to waste Krakoa. But I don't know. I think the hints have been there in Hellions, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> Gigi JP, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. It was great. Where can folks at home connect with you and see your awesome cosplays? Um, I'm at GeekyJP on Instagram. That's my main home. Um, I'm also on Twitter as ProletaryThought. And do you have any exciting cosplays that you can tease? You know how much I love your Wiccan. I love your Wiccan so much. Um, I'm working on hopefully some alternative Wiccan options. Um, We'll see how those come out and maybe something in honor of Loki. We'll see. Okay. Okay. It remains to be seen. And are you, are you going to any conventions? Are you going to be at any cons this year? Are you returning to cons? No, not yet. Um, It seems sort of touchy in some ways and we had to put a new roof on our house. So I think we're just going to ride out 2021 and hopefully see everybody back in 2022. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to it. Geeky JP, thank you again so much. Thank you. It was great. All right, everyone. And as always, I'm the Uncanny Day Spring signing off.